I'm going to start with Psalm 42 this morning, and I have a different version. I have the NLT, so um, I'm going to read it from here. And I, I chose that on purpose because it's a passage that was dear to me, and this is the version I read it out of at a difficult time. So maybe you could follow along if you want to. Um, otherwise, just feel free to listen. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food. Will my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Miser. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. I cry, O oh God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. God, thank you for your word this morning. We ask right now, gracious, loving God, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds for the words that you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so I know you don't know me very well yet, so I, actually I was going to start with one confession, and now I'm going to start with two. I don't love standing up here <laughs> at all. Um, so that's that's confession number one. But um, confession number two is something I do love to do, and that is I read the ending of books before I read the beginning. Uh, and it's not just books, it's movies too. So if there's a movie I've never seen before, I either go online and find all the spoilers, or I fast forward to the end and watch the end scenes first, before I go back to the beginning, because I just, I don't really like suspense, like at all, at all. Uh, so my mother, it drives her insane. Uh, she'll give me a book, and, and she'll ask if I want to read it, and I will read the back of it first, and it just drives her nuts. Um, but I can't handle it. <laughs> I can't handle not knowing what I'm getting into before I get into it. But she does make a good point. She says that the ending is artistic, and what makes it artistic, or at least part of what makes it artistic, is the development of the story ahead of time. And I do go back and read those parts, and I do 
appreciate them. I just really like to know ahead of time where I'm going. So this is what's going to happen today. <laughs> At the end of today, I really want us to be rejoicing um, because as we sit and we remember the lives of those saints who have gone before us, we do have great hope and we can have great joy because they are raised in Christ and that is very good news. Um, so we will end in rejoicing. Um, but there's a story that we have to work with to get to that ending and, and in that story, maybe it's hard to see where the rejoicing lies. Um, so now we're gonna we're gonna go to First Thessalonians four thirteen to eighteen, um, and and it says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like a people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So, spoiler alert, we can be encouraged, and we can rejoice, and we can have hope, because those whom we have loved will be risen again through Jesus Christ. Um, and I do want us to sit with that joy and to share in that joy together today. Um, but first, let's rewind a bit to the very beginning of that passage. And Hans Eric touched on it when he was reading the names of the saints. Uh, and I love it. It's, it says, we do not want you to grieve like people who have no hope. And it doesn't say we do not want you to grieve. It just says we do not want you to grieve like people who have no hope. Um, but the problem is, I, I think there's a heavy burden in Christian culture that wants to skip the, the part of it that says, like, people who have no hope, and maybe make the assumption that the verse tells us not to grieve because that's what people who have no hope do, and that's not right. We are allowed to grieve, but we grieve differently because we do have hope. But then when you add this verse with other verses, like Philippians 4.4, 4, where we're told to rejoice in the Lord always, it almost feels like there's a mixed message being sent. And it can be really easy then, if we buy into that mixed message, it can be really easy to feel guilty when we grieve too long or when we feel like our grief hasn't ended as quickly as maybe it should. Um, and that isn't right. And yet in the broader Christian culture, I feel like there's almost a lack of a space for us to grieve well. 
and to lament in a way that actually brings healing and actually brings us closer to God. So we began by reading Psalm 42 today, and I have to admit that there was a time in my life that I really felt like that was my own personal anthem because I was so broken and I just couldn't stop feeling broken and I cried out to God and I felt sad all the time and I was just crushed but I also felt guilty about it like maybe I didn't have enough faith to pull myself out of that darkness and I felt guilty about being so devastated when I knew the truth and the joy and the astounding hope of the gospel. And the truth is that admitting this grief and this pain to my community, maybe even especially my Christian community, didn't make it easier. In fact, dear friends of mine who just wanted to help me would tell me, just let your, your, your hope be found in Christ. But I had hope and joy in Christ. I was just also sad at the same time. And they would tell me to trust in God, but I did trust in God. I was just hurting. So then I started to feel like a bad Christian for being so broken. And I started to feel like maybe all the other Christians had it together and I was just missing that mark. But then I read Psalm 42 and I just clung to it because that psalmist knew where I was at and, and it seemed like he was in the same place, that he was devastated, but that didn't mean he didn't have faith. He was devastated and he was looking with joy to the point where he would praise God again and that's exactly how I felt. I was devastated, but I knew I would praise God again I just didn't know how to get there. And my guilt in being so down kept me from grieving with my Christian community and maybe even kept me from grieving in a well-healing manner. So have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? And yes, I spoiled that one too. I looked online. Uh, but have you ever seen the movie Inside Out? It's uh, about the inner mind of a girl named Riley, and all of her emotions are personified into little characters. And the character Joy is the main character, and Joy's goal is to make sure that Riley is always happy. So no matter what is going on in Riley's life, Joy wants her to be happy. But Joy has to share the space of Riley's mind with other emotions, one of whom is sadness. And at the beginning, it seems like Joy doesn't like sadness. And you can see as the movie progresses that she doesn't even really know why sadness exists at all. But the point is, sadness does exist. And that may be where we're at sometimes in Christian culture. It may be that we know sadness exists, and we acknowledge it, and we let it happen because it has to happen, but then we want to be really quick to restore that happiness. Maybe even not in our own lives, but maybe we want to be quick to project that we're happy. 
um, as quickly as possible. And being happy certainly isn't wrong. I mean, everyone likes to be happy. That's good. It's a very good thing. Um, and we do have great reason to be happy. But we don't really allow the proper place for sadness to exist the way it needs to sometimes. And then if we don't allow that space for grief and sadness to exist the way it needs to, then we band-aid over the cause or, or we band-aid over what we're really feeling. Or sometimes we even put limitations on the way God is working in and through this grief process. Um, and then, of course, if we band-aid over it too quickly, we can cause those things to fester up. So even while we're putting on this happiness, even if we're telling ourselves we're happy, if we haven't given ourselves space to grieve well, we can be hiding those really dark emotions underneath almost a false happiness. So noting that there's disparity between how Christians may tend to view grief and uh, what grief actually is, I went looking through the Bible, and I came across John 11, which um, I'm not going to read in full, but I am going to summarize it for you. It's actually a passage that has a lot going on in it, um, and so if you get the chance today, I would encourage looking back over it because I am going to do a really brief summary. But uh, the basics are that Mary and Martha had called Jesus, and, or had called out to Jesus and told him, you know, Lazarus is really sick. You need to come. And Jesus received this message, and he waited for a couple of days. And he said, this story does not end in death. But Lazarus died, um, and Jesus went, and it ended in, in Jesus healing Lazarus and, and raising him from the dead. But before he did that, Jesus wept. And it takes me by the heart every time I read it, because anybody, if there was anybody at all in the history of humankind who had faith, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was Jesus. And if anybody ever understood the joy and hope of eternal life and resurrection, it was Jesus. And even before Lazarus died, Jesus knew it was only temporary, and yet Jesus wept. He wept before he even got to the tomb. And I don't know, I mean, you could argue he's not weeping for Lazarus, but he was weeping for something whether it was the state of the people around him or whether he was weeping over death itself, he wept. And there was a lot going on in that passage, so it almost seems to jump out at the page with, with blaring lights because there's so much going on, and yet in the midst of all of it, Jesus takes the time to let himself grieve something. And not only did he take the time to do that, but John made sure to write about it in the account. So it, it's highlighted and it's obvious, which means it's important that in everything else that was going on, Jesus wept. And that didn't mean he was faithless. 
I, I think we can agree there, that him grieving didn't mean that he wasn't having faith in this situation. And it's the same with Mary and Martha, who were grieving. They had faith in Christ. And, and Jesus even told Martha that he would raise Lazarus. And she had faith, but there was still a grieving process, and that was important to the story. And so we, we must allow sadness to exist, because we all grieve. Today, many of us remember the lives of the saints who have gone before us. And yes, we can rejoice because they have eternal life through Christ, but we miss them, and that hurts. Even when we are faithful, even when we rejoice in the hope of the gospel and eternal life and resurrection, it still hurts. And then there are also so many other types of losses out there. Um, The loss of a loved one is very painful, but there are other things that we lose. So even if you haven't experienced the loss of someone very close to you, you have experienced loss in your life, um, whether it's loss of a job or loss of a dream or loss of a lifestyle or or financial loss, any type of loss, there are losses that are very real in our lives and they take a toll on us and they are a struggle and they hurt and they bring pain. But the Bible shows us that we can grieve those situations too and the Bible also shows us that we can have hope in those situations too. So our Old Testament reading today came from Haggai 2, and the Israelites had returned to the land, and they were going to rebuild the temple, but there was a little motivation issue. It was taking them a while, um, and something needed to happen. Ezra is, is similar. Ezra recounts the laying of the temple's foundation, a long time before they got to where they were in Haggai. And at the laying of the foundation, Ezra recounts that the elders were weeping over the laying of its foundation because they remembered the old temple and all of its glory. I mean, Solomon had resources beyond imagination, and this original temple was incredible. And this laying of the new foundation left so much to be desired. It wasn't glorious. And they wept and they wailed over it. And so fast forward to Haggai, they haven't finished it. There's a lot going on there. And Haggai gives them space to take that in. In fact, he even calls to their attention, just in case they forgot that this temple wasn't glorious as it used to be. He calls it to their attention, and he, he has them reflect on its lack of glory. But he brings them hope, and he says, God has more glory in store, something that you can't comprehend yet, something that we can't see in where this is right now, but there is a glory that God is planning for this place and for this process. Now, I think 
that everybody can see the value in being joyful and in clinging to hope in really difficult situations. But then what is the value in grief? Why did Haggai even bother to call attention to their grief in this process? Because the way I see it, grief can be really ugly. It just can. It's, it's ugly when we have questions that we don't have answers to. And it's ugly when we're frustrated and we're mad and we want to know why something is happening, but we can't know why. And we want to know why God is allowing something to happen. And that's just not an answer we can get right now. It's ugly. And yet, as I look back over my own life, I... I see these journeys of grief, and I see them in their ugliness, and they are the ugliest, most beautiful journeys that I think I've ever been on. And I think it takes walking through the ugly parts at their worst with God to be able to see the beauty that comes after. And not just the beauty that comes after, but the beauty of our relationship with God during the ugliest parts. And here's how it can be beautiful and why it's important not to rush the process. For one thing, grief can be really beautiful in the way we walk through it together as Christians, as brothers and sisters. In uh, Romans 12:15, Paul tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and also to mourn with those who mourn. That's an important part of our relationship, and God does something extraordinary when we sit and we invest in each other's stories, when we invest so much that we rejoice with each other, and we also invest so much that we mourn with each other. And that doesn't mean just hearing someone when they say they're going through a bad time, but really taking the time and and being in their mourning with them. That is something beautiful, and it does something beautiful for our relationships with each other and our relationship as a body of Christ. The process of grief can be beautiful as we experience the character of God within it. We experience God as our rock in times of trouble. We experience the way that he guides us, that he provides for us that he shelters us. And of course, we want to get to the place of happiness, but if we really must be stuck in those times of grief, then praise God that he's right there with us. And that one can be hard, though, because as much as we can experience God in those ways, in those hard times, we don't always want to. We can be so hurt that we don't want God to enter in. We can choose to walk with him, and choosing to walk with him through grief reveals his character to us, and sometimes we're afraid to do that. Sometimes we're afraid to show God our ugly side, even though he already knows it, and sometimes our grief brings us to a place of anger with him, or sometimes we avoid walking with God for any number of reasons, but God can handle it. In fact, he wants us to enter into a deeper relationship with him. Just look at the Psalms, any number of Psalms. Actually, look so many places in the Bible, but the Psalms are good at this. 
they're good at calling God out when they're angry. They're good at letting God in on those real ugly times. I really like Psalm 73, 22 and 23. It says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. And those words are from people who had great faith. They were not faithless as they were letting God in on their ugly parts, and they are not faithless as they're questioning his plans or not finding answers. They're just letting God in on their ugly parts and their questions, and that's not faithless. In fact, I think that takes great faith. It takes great faith to let God be your sounding board as you yell and to let God know that you're not happy with him, but then to also let him guide you and know that he has hope for your future. Have you ever done that, though? Have you ever just been a brute beast before God and maybe yelled at him or accused him or questioned everything he was doing? Um, because it isn't something we like to admit to. And yet, and we, we feel guilty in those moments sometimes, but if you have ever done that, you're certainly not alone. And again, I'm looking at the Psalms here, even the Psalm we read earlier, 42. It says, my God, why have you forgotten me? Well, God doesn't forget us, is the thing. We're allowed to ask him why he's forgotten us, but he hasn't forgotten us. And in our anguish, we may feel like it. And God allows us to bring him into those messy moments and those messy, ugly conversations because in the end, our faith is strengthened. And we see that God is unchanging and never failing, and he's always walking with us, even in our most intense moments. And that is where we get to experience more of who God is. And not only that, but we see his character of comforter. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we see God's heart in our grief. We learn that he grieves with us, and we can experience his healing through our grief, and that is beautiful. I mean, man, it hurts to get there, but it is beautiful. And after a time, as the pain subsides, we can look back and we can see how God was with us in these painful, horrible moments. And we can just see the beauty of how he walked alongside us. As a Christian, lament means to cry out to God. It doesn't mean that we're being faithless or not trusting him enough um, or disobeying his call to rejoice like in Philippians. It just means that we are broken and we are looking to him in a time of despair and we're letting him in on that. Now in our grief, we can also find this beauty in the story of God unfolding. I want to look back at Haggai again. Um, the Israelites were grieving the loss of something that once was, the glory of this former temple. Because the new temple wasn't as glorious. It just wasn't. 
And there was room for that grief. But again, God had a plan that was more glorious for the future. And this, this building that they were creating was just a tiny foreshadowing of the glory that was, to, that was yet to come. And that is the beauty of God's plan unfolding. Maybe they couldn't even see it at the time. And sometimes our losses lead us to unexpected places like that, and we can still grieve what is left behind. But at a certain point, when we see that God's story is unfolding in our lives, that's exciting. I, I've admittedly had a lot of those moments in this last month. Um, even in this last week, maybe especially in this last week, um, if you would have asked me a year ago <laughs> where I saw myself in the future, I would never have said California, ever. It's beautiful here. But I'm, I'm a northern person. <laughs> and it's not just that. I, I guess in these past weeks, everything has been different. The way I work is different, and who I interact with is different, and the way I plan and organize Everything is different. Everything is different. And not bad different, and not good different, just different. And I, I reflect on that more, and I realize that the hardest differences are my friends and my family and my coworkers who are still back home and not here. And I think that those are the most intense differences, and those are things that I do mourn and, and I lament. Um, and there was a part of me that this week said, oh, I just wish that Desiree could be here because she and I could go through any number of things together and it would be great. Um, but that's not how it is. And I can call her and our relationship has changed. It's not ended. It's just loss because it's changed. And yet, I don't think I'd trade it for anything. I don't think I'd trade that loss and that change because it is different out here, and I do grieve, but it's been so good to just see how God is working and how God is moving, and I'm excited to see what God has in store for me next. And in those sad moments... I've known that God has been working with me and that God has been meeting me and challenging me and growing me, and that is so exciting. But don't get me wrong. We can't always make sense of our losses. Maybe this one is an easy one for me to make sense of because I can see God working, but we can't always do that. Um, there are some losses that just seem pointless, and maybe some of them even seem cruel. And there are some losses that we'll never find an explanation for, and God helps us work through those too. And we can see God's heart in those times too, because we get to experience God as the one who also grieves injustice and brokenness. So maybe we have no answers, but we do know that God grieves with us. I already clued you in on this last one at the beginning. I do think that the most beautiful thing 
in the process of grieving as a Christian is that even in our darkest times, we know God's got it. We have hope, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. And through his death and his resurrection, the dead will rise, and all of the pain and the hurt and the brokenness and the messiness of this world will be gone, and it will be made whole and new and good. And that is an absolutely beautiful truth, a truth that brings us joy and a truth that allows us to have hope even in our deep sadness. And so, no, we do not grieve like those who have no hope, but we do grieve. And we can rejoice in the Lord always, even in our times of great, great hurt. I had a professor who used this phrase often. He said, lament is praise in a minor key. And I love that. Lamenting allows us to grow in relation with God as we cry out, as we fall on our knees, and as we wonder why. As we experience anger, it lets us do all of those things while still trusting in him to bring us through and still having hope that one day, yeah, the dead will rise and everything will be made new and perfect and whole. That is lament. That is grief as a Christian. It is not something to run from. It is something that can transform us as God gets us through it. On this day, we remember those who have gone before us. Or maybe as we remember other losses and struggles that we've endured, one thing remains true that Jesus died and that we have hope during those times. So wherever you are in your journey, whether you are brimming with happiness or whether you are struggling, make the investment to let God be fully a part of it. We're going to move into a time of singing together, and I want you to just know and to just allow yourself the permission to feel any emotion that you have and that you feel and bring it fully before God. And we can worship him in all of these places. We can worship him in happiness and sadness and in anger. I want us to end in rejoicing together, and that is very true. But perhaps rejoicing looks different for different people at different times in their lives. So whether you are praising in a minor key or praising in a major key today, just know we all have the space to do that. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your hope and your joy in times of sadness and in times of happiness. Thank you that when we can't find that happiness, you are walking us through. And in our darkest moments, you are there just waiting and calling to us and beckoning us. Thank you, God, that you walk alongside us. Thank you that sometimes we don't have all the answers. And that's okay. But that you are there and that our hope can be found in you. In Jesus' name we pray.